into the Christmas season. We're going to try to set the stage for the um, the real meaning, real rationale, real reason for the season. I'm going to read verses one through. Five, and then we're going to pray. I'm also going to uh, lift up our brother John Render. He was here this morning and was uh, seated in the front seat, ready to preach this morning, and not feeling well, and uh, just just decided that he, uh, you know, just just couldn't um, was probably likely not going to make it through the message without feeling worse. And so I said, you know, do do you need do you need to go? <laughs> He said, yes. And I was like, okay, the Lord has got it under control. So uh, I've, I've had just a few more minutes than you have had to, uh, to know that I'm preaching this morning. Uh, so we'll trust that the Lord will feed us this morning, uh, as we should every Sunday. Uh, sometimes you just have a little bit more preparation that you're cooking the meal. A little bit more advance notice, rather. It's good. We're going to pray for John, and we're going to ask the Lord to, uh, to help him to feel better and uh, to, to resolve whatever difficulty he's struggling with. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 says this, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to open your word. We pray, Father, as we come before you, that you would encourage our hearts from the scriptures. As Moses told the Israelites that the word that you gave them was no empty word. It wasn't just a bunch of, of, of sayings and phrases. Instead, Moses said, it is no empty word, it is your very life. And so as we come here this morning, we, we come with the knowledge that we're not to live by bread alone, and that includes turkey and mashed potatoes and all the other good things that you've given to us. We're not to live by bread alone, but from every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And so in advance of hearing the word, we say thank you for it. We thank you for giving us the opportunity to hear your word, but we also pray that you would do the work of, of transformation, of changing our hearts, our desires. Lord, you have saved those who put their faith and trust in Christ. And now, those who trust in you are awaiting transformation, continued change over time. And so we pray that, that you would work in our hearts this morning to create faith, 
to create agreement and acceptance that we would say yes to you and that we would be transformed and changed. Father, we lift up our brother John. We pray that, that you would help him to, to feel better. Uh, he is struggling with, with, with something. We are not exactly sure what it is. Uh, but he, he was ready, Lord, to preach your word, and, and now he does not feel well. And so we thank you for the opportunity to pray for him. We thank you for drawing it to our attention. We pray that, that as Pam uh, supports and encourages him, perhaps as they go to the doctor, we pray for a, um, a knowledge of what's going on. We pray for relief, Lord. And we pray that as he feels better, that he would give you all the praise and the glory. Lord, we ask now that you would guard our hearts and minds during this time, and you would help us to believe in the truth of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so has anybody had an opportunity to, uh, to go online and to look at any of the... Uh, the video from, from what they call Black Friday. It's, it's interesting. Black Friday seems to have started early this year. We've, I don't know that we call it Black Thursday or Black Friday Eve, uh, but we normally, we normally call it Thanksgiving, right? Now, you know, uh, Christmas invaded Thanksgiving, and uh, actually Christmas was, was out there right at the beginning of November, it felt like. Um, Thank you, Walmart. And, uh, and so we are, uh, we are in the middle of the season even before we get to the season because uh, Advent is supposed to be the beginning of the season technically. Uh, but I, I was watching on, um, on Friday because I do not get up and go out early to shop on Friday. On Thursday, I fall into a, a turkey-induced coma and, uh, and don't wake up uh, until... Uh, mid-morning on Friday, and so our house was full of uh, cousins, and uh, my brother was there, and my parents were there, and we had a great time, and, uh, and I fired up my uh, device, and I was looking at the news, and there in California are people beating each other to a pulp in the mall. Uh, and I'm sure this is something, while well, reading other headlines, it's something that's been replicated in different places, but just the, the kind of stark contrast that, that, that comes when you think uh, the reason for the season, according to our culture, is to get out there and get that perfect thing for your loved one, right? So that they will know that they are loved and cared for and cherished and treasured. And you need to get that present even if you have to teach someone a lesson while you're doing it, right? You have to step on somebody in order to get that perfect present. Uh, the, the contrast is, 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 is just crazy to me. Uh, and so some might ask, what happened to the, the meaning of the season? What, what, we've forgotten it as a culture. To which I would say this, don't worry. Don't, don't stress about the fact that our culture has forgotten the reason for the season. And here's why. Uh, Christians and the world alike have been forgetting the reason for the season since it first happened. 
the book of Galatians is one of the very first letters written in the New Testament, written to encourage and educate the church. And in that book, Paul is reminding folks about the spirit of the season, about the, the dawning of their salvation and the meaning of it. A number of years ago, I, uh, I, I got a Christmas card, and, and, and Christmas cards, forgive me if you send me one, please do. I, we do love them. We particularly enjoy looking at the pictures that come in them. Most cards now are like picture cards, right? Like there's not really even a, a Christmas card there uh, a lot of times. The card is the picture. Uh, but but what, I, what I generally have done over the years is I've, I've, I open the card, and I look at the picture, and then I see who it's from, and then I go back and I read the card. Does anybody else do this? Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, I, I got this card, and I pulled it out, and, and the front was, was, was just fancy and nice, and it had this script on it. And I, before I even opened the card, I looked at it, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to absorb this. And there on the cover was this, this reason for the season message that just grabbed my attention. This is what the card said. It said this, The Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. The Son of God became a man to enable men to become the sons of God. Now, if that doesn't fit your understanding of Christmas, then perhaps you too need to be reminded of the reason for the season. Uh, because that card, when I, when I saw it, just grabbed my attention. I opened it up, and there inside of, of the card was this scripture text, Galatians 4, 4 through 5. And I probably had never thought of this as a Christmas passage before. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of as sons. Let's, let's think about this passage and walk through it. First, we see that God waited until the right time to act. When the fullness of time came, comma, God. In this passage, we're, we're told that, that the children uh, who were heirs of the goodness of God were no different from slaves, even though they were the owners of everything in name, but they were under guardians and strangers, until, uh, and managers until the date set by the Father. They, the, the children of God, those who would become the children of God, were under captivity. They were, they were under the law. They were, they were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. There was, there was something going on in the world, and the world was waiting. But at the right time, God chose to act. Have you thought about the fact that God could have chosen any time in history to come, and he chose to came in, come in a pre-technological era? Have you ever thought about that? Like, we, we carry the most sophisticated devices in our pockets right now. Uh, think, think about what it would have been like if on resurrection morning, the Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb had phones with them, Right? I, now, you might think they would have done this. They would have taken video, right? I think they would have done this. 
I think they would have been like, crazy, crazy stuff happening at the tomb here, you know? Like, shiny man, look at him. Uh, stone rolling away. There, there was a reason, though, that, that God chose not to act at that time. He, he did not send his son in the time of YouTube or selfies or videos instantly posted online where, where, where camera crews could have set up. Why was this the right time? Well, that's a, the, a question really for, for God to answer, but it was a time of fulfillment. If you look at the, the scriptures, we have creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And then man sins against God, breaks fellowship with him, decides that the, the limits which God has placed upon him are not good, and that he needs to exceed those limits. And so man sins against God and comes underneath the curse. Man, it loses the, the presence of God living within him and begins to, to die spiritually from that moment and eventually will die physically. And then man is placed under the code. The law is given. And then Christ comes at the fullness of time. What, what the writer is saying here, what Paul is saying, is that when the pieces were all in place, God sent his son. When all the preparations were made, now God has the luxury of being in control of the calendar, unlike you, right? You, you maybe prepped and cooked Thanksgiving dinner, maybe you did a little home remodeling to get ready, you know, you, you, uh, I did some. My dining room floor looks... I did it, yeah. Um, but listen, here's the thing. I was under a deadline. I had to be ready by the time that family walked in on Turkey Day, right? You know, God has the luxury and the ability to control the timetable and to say, first I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this, and then I will send my son. Look at what the scripture says. I say, as long as the heir is a child... The one, the one who is to inherit salvation is a child. The, the curse, the law, or the curse rather, reduces men to childhood. When Adam and Eve were created, they were at peace and in fellowship with God, and they had access to everything that they could want or desire, but they were hemmed in by the will of God. They were bound to live in fellowship with him and not disobey his rules. And when they step outside of it thinking that they would be like God, knowing good or evil, obtaining and possessing the, the power, they sin against God and are placed in a state of bondage or, or curse. They are imprisoned because they declare when they sin against God that they do not want him as their king, that they do not want to follow his rules, that they do not want to walk hand in hand in fellowship with him. And so they lose all the benefits of blessings of knowing God. But God is good. And so instead of removing all of his blessings, God puts into practice, into effect, a, a plan to redeem and to save humanity. The passage says that, that as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is the owner of everything. Think about that. Man was created to subdue and rule the world, and yet he gave up that right to rule at the fall. 
And so he was placed under guardians and managers. God put a law into place and said, here are all of the rules. Prior to that, it was just walk humbly with your God. Do not eat from this tree. And now, in, in, in man's sinfulness, he, gives to, he needs to be given all kinds of rules and regulations to guide and lead him. But this is only until, it says in verse 2 of this passage, until the date set by the Father. And so at the right time, after a period of time of learning and struggling and, and failing to live up to the conditions of the law and abandoning the, the law and, and running from God's way, God decides that it is time. Why was the time full? Look at the Old Testament. You see man over and over and over again trying different ways to live independently from God until God says that is is enough. I think in part the Old Testament is there to demonstrate and to show us that apart from God's intervention we could never save ourselves. We could never save ourselves. As a parent, have you ever had a, a child say, no, I can do it myself, and instead of saying, no, there is absolutely no way that you could possibly do this by yourself, instead you choose, I will let them struggle for a little while right? I'll, I'll let them try to handle it themselves. I'll watch them. I'll, I'll just sit back and I'll wait for them. And then when they look to me and they're like, uh, I could use some help, then you're like, okay, I engage, right? You, you, you prove to them first. Do you know how to do that? Yeah, sure I do. And then you watch them. You know, they've either got the tool or they've got the laundry. And, you know, right before they, they pour an entire bucket of bleach in there, you're like, stop, 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 right? You, you engage. And I think this is, this is part of what we see in the Old Testament is just the demonstration that man, left to his own, apart from the grace of God, cannot save himself. When I teach my, uh, my class in Africa every year, uh, when I teach Progress of Redemption, I spend the first three or four days going through Old Testament characters, uh, going through guys like uh, Abraham and Jacob, and looking at David, and, and demonstrating clearly, Moses is another, showing over and over again how they failed. And the students get this reaction like, these are our heroes. We've been told over and over again by pastors and teachers, be like Moses, be like uh, Jacob, be like uh, Abraham, trust, have faith like Abraham. They've been told this all their lives in, in Sunday school, and here I am pointing out all their flaws. But the point of that is to bring them to, to, this, to this moment where we show God send his son. That they realize that all the people that they've been studying in the Bible, in the Old Testament, they're not really the heroes. They're the ones who need to be saved that God himself is the star, that he is the hero. And so, so why was the time full? When the time was full, I believe that God had fully demonstrated that, that humanity had a need that could not be met any other way, and that he was ready. So the time is full, and we see God act in the scripture. 
How does God act? He acts by sending his son. Salvation does not begin with man. Salvation begins with God. Humanity is is under this penalty of guilt that's on them because of the ways in which they they have lived contrary to God. And God is completely holy, completely and utterly holy. That means he cannot abide abide any deviation, any lack of conformity to his will, because he's completely holy. And we can look at God all we want, and we'll never, ever, ever see a time when we can call him a hypocrite, and we can say, see, you set rules, and you don't live up to them. Every human, every husband, every parent, right, ought to understand at some point they are going to have to say, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I messed up too. But God never does that. He's completely and utterly holy, but he's also merciful. I'm getting ahead of myself. He's he's completely holy, and that means that sin must be punished. It must be dealt with somehow. And nothing that sinful human beings try to do can save them because they're flawed and Sinful. This would be like somebody, some, someone who is sick trying to come up with a cure for their own disease and coughing over everything, right? And contaminating and, 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 and making, and ruining it. Ruining the, the cure. Salvation begins with God. He, he sees the need and he develops the cure and then he sends the only cure. The problem with humanity is that we are proud, unbelieving, self-centered, and, and, and self-focused, and, and we deny the goodness of God. We deny our need, and so God needs to demonstrate it to us. And it's only when we come to the end of ourselves and are broken and humbled and completely without any other solution that we look to God and we say, do you have an answer? And he then says, yes, here I am. I have the answer for you. And he brings the solution to us. The scripture says that God acted by sending his son. It also says that he sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law. God came into the world as a man. Now, some people might say, well, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is God. One, that's not true. It calls him Lord all over the place, and that's a name that you only use for God. But also, the Bible says that that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, and he is called God's son. So if your mom is a woman. What does that make you? It makes you a human being. But if your dad is God, what does that make you? It makes you God. And so God sends his son into the world as a real man, fully God, but also fully man. That means that Jesus lived in the world and he had skinned knees and uh, his nose got stuffed up and he had growing pains and he had bills to pay. There's a distinct difference between what happens in the Old Testament and what God does when he is bringing the true, real solution that he had planned all the time. In the Old Testament, God sent a religious code to be obeyed. God sent a bunch of rules to be kept, and he said, 
If you do them, you will live because you've kept them. That's Leviticus 18.5. And humanity learned what the book of Romans says, that by works of the law, that by doing right things, no one will be justified in the sight of God. That, that because we're flawed and because we've failed, none of us can earn forgiveness by doing good works. God sent a code first to demonstrate that, that, that we could not save ourselves, but he didn't send a new and improved code. He sent his son. He sent someone to save and to rescue us. You might ask the question, can I be good enough? Can I, can I live in such a way as to earn God's affection and make him save me? Well, the answer is, is no. But, we don't actually need to do that. The Bible says that, that God had a great love with which he loved us. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Because of the great love with which he loved us, he raised us up. He rescued us even when we were dead in sins and trespasses. The, the Bible teaches that Jesus came to take the curse of the penalty upon himself, to take the burden of keeping the law upon himself. Look at what Galatians 3.10 says, for as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. If you're, if you're trying to live perfectly so that God will love you, you are under a curse. Why? Because the Bible says, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform them. And if we're told that we have to keep every single law and keep it perfectly, that if we stumble in one thing, we're guilty of, of breaking the whole thing, then, then trying to be good is not a solution. This is what the Bible says in Leviticus 18.4. I mentioned this just a couple of minutes ago. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws for the man who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. Now here's, here's the, the, the good news in just a second. Just, just one more second. Jesus says this. Truly, truly I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. That means that if, if we say, I'm going to be good in the eyes of God, I'm going to do what God commands, if we ever sin, if we ever mess up even once, then we must pay the penalty for trying to be good and saying, I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to, I'm going to live a good life. And we're enslaved then to keep that law. We're enslaved to do good. That's, that's one way of trying to approach God. I'll try, to, I'll try to be good. And Jesus says this, the slave does not remain in the house forever. But verse 35 goes on then with the good news. He says the son does remain forever. And so if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. How then... How then is there, is there good news here? Because what other way is there to approach 
God and to, and to try to earn his affection. Well, earning his affection is a trap. We don't need to earn it because, as it says, he already loves us. So, so think about this, all right? I'm, I'm making this up. So if it doesn't work, no, no rock throwing, forgive me. All right. Imagine if I had to take a test in order to retain my life, right? If I fail the test, then I die. Okay. So I'm going to take this test. What is on the test? Well, everything is on the test. It's like Jeopardy. They're going to ask you random questions. You're going to have to know the names of lakes in South America, right? And you're going to have to know the history of, of Russia, and you're going to have to understand the economics of, of China. You have to know all this stuff, right? And I'm like, I am not going to pass that test because, like, I just don't know that stuff. And then I think, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll get someone who knows everything to dress up just like me and take the test for me. Now, you think that's cheating, right? But I think this. If it's my life and I pass the test, then that means I'm smart, right? Right? So, this is what happens. The Bible says this. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Galatians 3, 11 through 14 speaks about how the, the religion that curses us, that, that keeping of the law which, which curses us, which will, which will create guilt in us, because once we have a law and we fail to obey it, right? We, we, are, we now become transgressors. Think about this, right? If you're driving along and you're like, I wonder what the speed limit here is, and you don't know, right? You guys, you can tell the things that I struggle with because I bring them up regularly and routinely. Um, if, if you're like, what is the speed limit here, right? And you look down and you're like, ah, 45, I'm, I'm probably good, right? And you don't really know and you're like, you're like, eh, maybe I could slow down. And then you suddenly blow past at 45 miles an hour and decide that it says 25. Now you've become a transgressor, right? Now you know what the standard is and you're failing to live up to it. So, so the law comes along and says, this is everything that you need to do in order to satisfy and please God. And you're like, oh, I don't do that. I've, I've, I've done that thing a thousand times that God says not to do. And I've never done this, which God tells me to do. And, and so I'm, I am totally lost here. I will be condemned. But, but here's, here's the good news. Galatians 3.11 says this, now that no one is justified by, before, sorry, now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for, it says in, in verse uh, 11, the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. So, so what, is, what is Paul saying here? That, that no one can be declared righteous in God's sight by obeying the law. Why? Because it says here, the righteous man shall live by faith. So, so people who are righteous live not by being good, but by trusting God. So somebody might say, well, then I'll, I'll, what is this? What do you mean? I'll be good. But it says here in verse 12, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. So if you're saying, I'm going to be good in order to earn God's affection, then you need to be perfect 
or you die. But, so that's the curse of the law. Verse 13 says this, though. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Oh, that sounds like good news. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. That's good news. That's good news. Right? If I'm, if I'm standing in the aisle at the supermarket and, uh, and they scan my products and the bill is just getting higher and higher and all of a sudden it is $72 million. And I'm like, what? You know? And, and imagine this is a world where giant closes and Acme never opens. So there I am at Food Lion, and there is no other store, and it's going to be $72 million. And I'm like, I am going to die. I'm never going to eat again, you know, and the, the anxiety. And then the guy behind me says, here, I have a coupon. <laughs> well, really? Right? And he, and he gives me this coupon. I look at it, and it says, this is for 70 no, not seven. It would be seventy. I'm going to try to do math here. <laughs> Seventy-one comma nine 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 all the way to the end, and I'm like, oh, wow, right? And I and I, I, I scan that coupon, and it's like, oh, now you just owe a dollar, and I'm like, wait a minute, I got that. Ta-da! And you pay. But this is this is the way the gospel works. We don't have any righteousness at all, because we're we're sinners. We can't do anything to earn God's affection. And so what we need is, is not for someone to say, hey, I have a coupon. We need someone when, when the debt is called, when, when we are told, you owe God 72 million guilt points, whatever it is. You, this, is this is your debt. We don't need someone to say, here's a coupon to make it so that you can, you can pay the bill, your, bill yourself. Instead, what we need is for someone to come along and say, I have the currency and I can pay the bill for you. I can pay it. I can pay it in full and to put the bills down on the table. Now, it says here in in verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Okay, so what's going on here in this passage? This is, this is the good news of the gospel, is that when our debt is called and we are told you owe 72 billion, whatever the currency is, Jesus says, I've got that. I can pay for it. If we don't, if we don't have the currency to pay, then we die. And in the Bible, you don't just die once. You, you die forever. You, we, we, we take a sentence that equates with, that is, that is uh, in measure or in proportion to the crime which we have committed. And if you commit a sin against the infinitely holy God of the universe, then you deserve to be punished forever. Jesus, though being of infinite value, 
and coming to earth as a man, born as a man under the law, and living a perfect life under the law then, is able to say, I am righteous because I have lived a perfect life. Unlike any other human being, he is the one who can say, I lived a perfect life. I have never, ever done anything wrong. Therefore, I have earned God's affection. God says, so what are you going to do with that life? And he says, I'm going to give it away to everyone who needs rescue. Why does this delight the Father? Because this is the Father and the Son's plan from eternity past, to rescue sinners in need. Jesus becomes a curse for us. The Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He goes to that cross and he takes the punishment. He takes the full wrath of God on the cross. God's love for his son turns to utter and complete, absolute hatred of sin. That doesn't sound spiritual. God doesn't hate Jesus. The Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 5, 20, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus became sin on that cross for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. He is the very perfect righteousness which pleases God. And we are utterly despicable and wretched from the perspective of our sins. But God sends Christ to take our sins upon himself, though he's perfectly righteous, so that we could receive his perfect righteousness. So the scripture says here that God came to redeem slaves of the law. I think I covered this. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. Okay. Um, funny. These are old notes. I have no idea what this comment even means. Sneaking into Gennaro's and using pizza coupons. Gennaro's is a pizza restaurant from the town that we grew up in. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? Yeah. Lost to time. Jesus liberates us from sin. He redeems us. See, here's the thing. We have, we have locked ourselves into a prison of condemnation by offending the will and the way of God. And Jesus redeems us, liberates us, giving God the Father what is rightfully his back. God the Father and God the Son orchestrate a rescue mission to bring human beings who are out of fellowship and cursed back into relationship with him. Now here is the great news of this passage. Verse 5 says this. Let me read the whole thing. When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Think about, um, I, I thought of this back when uh, Nancy was homeschooling our kids when she would do the number line with them. You guys know this is a math thing. I know some of you are trying to forget math. It doesn't work. It, math hunts you for the rest of your life. You, you just need to accept that it exists and, and to deal with it. But the number line is like there's the zero in the middle, right? And then if you go to five or, 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 or ten, it's like 
positive 10 and then all the little increments and then negative 10. Here's, here's the reality of, of what it means to be a sinner. When we, when we sin, we are at negative 10, right? We are the, the furthest thing possible from God. I know I said 72 billion, whatever before, but it's just, I'm gonna, it's going to get too complicated. Um, so, so we're at negative 10, when Jesus goes to the cross and he cancels out our sin and we are redeemed and we, we receive forgiveness, that doesn't bring us to, to the stellar, righteous quality of the sons of God. Right? When our sins are canceled out, that just that brings us up to zero. Right? Our, our sins, all of our defects, all of our wrongs are brought away. And so, so we're, at, we're at zero. We, we were unrighteous, but we have been forgiven. That does not make us perfect in the eyes of God. It just means that, that, we're, that we're forgiven. And so it's kind of like, go in peace. Right? Well, go where? What, what will we do? All we, all we have is, is God and his, his goodness. And if, if we're not rightly related to him, we are in serious trouble. But this is, this is the blessing of the gospel, that the gospel is not just forgiveness of sins. It is also the gift of the righteousness of God. Let me, if this weren't in the Bible, I would, think it, I would say it was crazy. Really, if you told me this and you weren't like, I can back this up from, from a passage, I'd be like, you're, you're, you're wrong. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So, so the righteousness of God is, is coming against all of human sin, and, and, and we're guilty because we're, we've not only committed the unrighteousness and we've done the ungodly things, but we're suppressing the truth. So, where is my next passage? I'm looking for it. Yes. I'll be there in a second. Hang on. Paul spends the entire chapter of Romans 1 and then Romans 2 and then Romans 3 upholding and defending the righteousness of God because of the unrighteousness of human beings, demonstrating how far short humanity has fallen, how, how they have failed to live out the righteousness of God, and, and showing that God's righteousness is being brought to bear in terms of wrath against the unrighteousness of humans. And then Paul says this, after thoroughly condemning humanity and saying this in uh, Romans 3, verse 20, that's your cue to turn or to like flip in your, your, your phone. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And then verse 21 says this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, that there is a new righteousness, a different kind, not just a be good kind of righteousness. And then we go to the famous verse, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but they are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in 
Christ Jesus. This is to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, in his patience, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is what what Paul is saying here, is that God is completely and utterly righteous. And we love that about God because because we believe that the universe should be made right, that the that the wrongness that's going on in the world, that the that the selfishness and the sinfulness and the violence and the abuse that it should stop. People say things like, why doesn't God do something about that? Because internally we feel like that's wrong and it shouldn't happen anymore. But God passes over former sins. Because think about it, if God was like, you know what, I'm going to eliminate every single unrighteous person and only leave the righteous ones, the, the world would be empty. You would think that the rapture had happened, but you wouldn't be here, right? You'd be in a giant, fiery place with everybody else. Like, did, who got raptured? I don't know. I don't know how that would work. Instead, instead of of carrying out vengeance, God demonstrates patience. God shows patience to humanity and passes over former sins because he is going to bring a different kind of righteousness at some point in the future. God sends Jesus. He comes into the world and he lives a perfect life and goes to the cross He's put forward, verse 25 says, as a propitiation by his own blood to be received by faith. Jesus takes the penalty of sins upon himself. He's a propitiation. That's an important Bible word, which means an offering to God that turns away God's wrath, right? Gentlemen, you know what this means if you're married, right? If you were bad and you did something, or you were stupid and you did something stupid or bad, when you come home, what do you do? First, you stop and you buy flowers or chocolate or something, and you come in the house and you hold it out in front of you and you're like, I did this thing. And if there's a smile, you're like, good, wrath averted. You should also say you're sorry because you were wrong. And yeah, so say you're sorry. But, but if, if the smile comes, then the, then the offering has turned away wrath. Jesus goes before God as a propitiation to him, that, that he lives this perfect life, and God says, I'm going to punish, we are going to punish, Jesus is included in this, every single sinful human, we're going to punish them because they've, they've sinned. But then the Father sends the Son, the Son lives a perfect life, and he goes to the cross... And his perfect righteousness is pleasing to God. And God says, I will accept that as a sacrifice to pay for all of the wrongs which have been done. God raises Jesus from the dead. He brings him back to life. He sets him back on his feet. He puts him on the throne next to him. And this is, this is the way this works. Those who put their faith and trust in Jesus... He, he died for their forgiveness, but as the book of Romans says, he was raised for their justification. When we, we put our faith and trust in Christ, it's like we die on the cross with him, and our sins are forgiven, right? But when our sins are forgiven, that just brings us up to zero on the number line, right? Remember that number line? I was talking about it like 100 years ago. Thank you. Some people get it. 
they they get they get how this brain works. I'm like, I gotta I gotta bring up the number line. I was talking about that. He's raised for our justification, and justification is the application of Christ's righteousness. It's this decree by God that it is as if we had never, ever sinned. He says, you are right in my sight. And how do we become right? We become right because God says, I'm going to count the death that Jesus died to your account, right? That brings you from negative 10 on the number line up to zero. And then he says, and I'm going to credit his righteousness to you. And that then adds the rest of what we need. We are now fully and completely righteous in the sight of God. And those who are redeemed, those who put their faith and trust in Christ, he throws open the gates of heaven and says, you are just like my son. You belong here with me. It's not just you're forgiven, now go away, go in peace. It's we should spend eternity together since we're like each other, right? Peter says that because of God's precious promises, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. God has reached out to those who have sinned against him Those who look to him in faith, he says, I will adopt you as my child. Think about the thief on the cross who had no ability to do anything good for the rest of his life, which probably only lasted a couple of hours or a couple of minutes. And Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise. To the adulteress caught in the midst of the act, he spares her from certain death. Think about this. Jesus reaches out and touches lepers and says, you are home. Now let me, let me just close this off by, by thinking about a, a, a classic movie here. I want, I want to encourage you not to miss the meaning of the season here. The Son of God became a man so that you might become a son of God. He's the son of God by his nature. You become a son or a daughter of God by his grace. Okay? But that doesn't cheapen. You're not like the unwanted guest. Okay? You're not second class. Do you remember when, uh, when uh, Daddy Warbucks, what's Daddy Warbucks' his, his agent's name? Mrs. whatever, the one who spins and wears yellow. Yeah, all right, we don't know her name. Um, so she goes and she gets Annie because Daddy Warbucks wants an orphan, right? And he brings her to the house. It's part of his orphan program, right? And the, the daughter or the, the, the woman is showing Annie the whole house and says, so what would you like to, what's her name, Grace? Yeah. What would you like to do first? And she says, well, I'll start with the stairs. She's going to go clean the stairs. She doesn't realize that she's been brought here to be a child in the house, and to get karate lessons and to, uh, to, to, to play with the dog and to, uh, you know, run around and get dancing lessons and all this stuff. She thinks like, oh, I'm just a slave here. I'll join the, the staff. Jesus says the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So when you think about, about Christmas Christmas means this. Christmas is connected to the cross, but this is what it means. 
It means if you've put your faith and trust in Christ, then when God looks at you, he looks at you with the value and the worth that he sees in his son. And so let this be a remedy to you. If you struggle with this feeling of, I am worthless. Paul says, in Christ, you are a son of God. It's not an accident that he uses the word son twice. Think about this. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law. Only his son could accomplish this mission. But what was the purpose of the mission? That we might receive the adoption as sons. It's not an accident that he uses the word twice. Only the Son could save them because of his righteousness. And you receive the, the, the adoption as a son. Now don't get a big head. You are not the like, fourth member of the Godhead. He's got it covered. We don't, we don't need any other applicants. You might say, I'm worthless. You're not. You might say, I'm unworthy. God's the one who determines worth, not us. He loves you with a redeeming love even when you were still a sinner. You might say, but I'm afraid of, of what could happen. Romans 8.32 says, God who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him give us all things? He didn't, see, he didn't hold back the most valuable thing in the universe to him, but instead gave him to you. He will save you. He will redeem you. We might just, we might just think Christmas is about feeling good and the fact that Jesus is born, right? But we need to connect the whole thing and explore the whole reason for the season. Let's just think about perfect presence for a moment. One, if God sent his son to save sinners and you are a sinner and he offers you the opportunity to be a son, will you not reach out and receive that gift? It's taken by faith. You just have to say, yes, I want it and I believe it's for me. God tells you it is. Just put your faith and trust in Christ and be saved. Second, imagine what it would be like if someone you love gave you the greatest possible gift ever. Something that you wanted, whether it's like new shoes, which I can't possibly imagine, or a new computer, which kind of makes sense to me, or like a tool that you could use, which is like, yeah, I kind of get that. But it's like the greatest thing, and you're like, yes, this is fantastic. It's exactly what I wanted. This will help me. And then you just kind of left it in the box. That's, that's what it's like when we say, okay, I believe I'm saved, but I don't really, I don't really get the whole adoption as a son thing. You're leaving almost the entire present in the box. This is who you are if you believe in Christ. A son of God by faith. Righteous and acceptable in his sight. And so receive it. Use it. Enjoy it. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. 
Again, we remember our, our brother John. We pray that you've uh, brought him some relief or answers even now. Uh, we pray that, that he would uh, have the rest and the recovery that he needs. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your, your, your word is good news. That, that your word addresses and brings answers to our deepest needs. We don't, we don't need half the stuff we're going to get for Christmas. We don't really need any of it if we're still in our sins, if, if we are alienated from you. And so you give us exactly what we need because you're gracious and kind and loving. We pray, one, that we would receive that gift if we have, and if we've not put our faith and trust in him, if we've not said, I am in need, save me. Pray that we put our faith and trust in Christ. If there's anyone here who's never done that, Father, I pray that you'd give them the grace and encourage them to do that now. Father, for the rest, those who have received Christ but perhaps have, have not lived in their identity and the fullness of it, I pray that, that you would help each and every one to say, yes, that's who I am. That's what God's word says that I am. I believe it. I receive it. And I'm going to live in the good of it. We pray, Father, that, that, that that would be our identity from here on out and that we would remember it when necessary. Father, thank you for your grace. I thank you for your help personally this morning, during this time. We, just, we thank you for your word and for your kindness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song.